You know, during World War II, there was a 15-year-old boy who managed to get on a Navy ship, and he managed to get in enlisted, and he joined the crew. And after the ship left the port, uh, they discovered that he was too young to actually be serving. But the ship was already out to sea, and even though the safety of the ship was at stake, uh, the, this young boy, 15 years old, he needed to do his duty. So the captain said, okay, young man, you're not supposed to be here, but you are here. We can't take you back, so you're going to do your job. You're going to stand watch tonight. And so this 15-year-old boy was put to stand watch there on the ship watching for the enemy and things like that, and he was to go from, four, from midnight to 4 o'clock in the morning. And so when it came time for his uh, shift to happen, a, a, um, they, they came and they relieved the, the man before him. Now the man before him was this lanky, real tall, skinny cowboy guy named uh, Cogswell, and he was the one who was actually doing the watch before this young man. And so Cogswell saw this young man come up and to relieve him on the watch, and so so he was, the young man was going to take over, and the captain was really nervous. I mean, you know, he's putting the ship in charge of this 15-year-old kid watching out for the enemy. So the captain couldn't sleep. And so the captain, about 1 o'clock in the morning, goes up on the bridge, and he takes a look out to see if this young 15-year-old kid is doing his job and watching his post and not falling asleep. And when he looks out, he doesn't see just the 15-year-old kid but he sees that tall, lanky cowboy, Cogswell, standing out there with him. And uh, one of the crewmen came up, and, and the captain uh, said the next morning to the crewman, he said, did you know that Cogswell stayed up all night with that kid out there and made sure to help him out on his post? And one of the crewmen said, yes, sir, I, I saw that, and I noticed that. And he said, the captain said, well, what do you think about that, Cogswell, spinning, literally staying up all night? And he said, well, sir, I don't know if you know this, but old Cogswell, he's a Christian, and he just serves the Lord and does what it takes. Old Cogswell stayed up with this young boy to help him do his job. You know, shouldn't that be evident of a Christ follower? People should look at us and say, that's what a Christian looks like. So that's what they talk. That's what they do. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because we've been journeying through this. And, and again, the, church, the letter is written to a young church. They're a, a new church, maybe been around a year or two, I don't know, at this point. But they're a young church. They're young as far as their beliefs. They're in a, a, a culture that is uh, Greek. It's pagan. Uh, in the culture in which this young church is, of course, most people worship multiple gods. So, you know, and here they are worshiping one true God, and so they're living in a, a very pagan culture, a culture that's very pagan in its beliefs. And Paul knew that there would be people outside of the church, and you have to remember when I say this word church, I just try to help us 20th century minds, don't think of church as being a building downtown. This is a group of people that met in a home. And so when people were watching these people, they were wondering, how are these people different? And Paul knew that people would be watching them. 
So it was a young church in terms of its beliefs. It was unlike the Jewish synagogue that was in town because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, so they were different than the Jewish synagogue. They were different than the pagans because they worshipped one God. And so Paul knew that the Jews would be watching them. Paul knew that the unbelievers would be watching them. And Paul knew that this church would be under attack and people would be watching to see how they respond when they're under attack. So Paul knew that people would be watching them. And one of the things we talked about last week, and last week was kind of a tough sermon, but last week I I told you that one of the things Paul would be watching them is how they behaved morally. And last week what I shared with you is what Paul said in in chapter 4, that abstinence from sex before marriage is God's will. Paul said, this is God's will, that you abstain, you keep away from sexual immorality. Why did he say that? Because he knew people were watching them. Because they lived in a culture in which people said, your body and your soul are not connected. So you can do whatever you want to with your body. And you can go see the prostitutes. And you can do whatever you want to your body. And it has no effect on your soul. And he knew that's how these people had grown up. And now they were Christ followers. And he was saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Your body and soul are interconnected. And abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's will. And again, sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage with somebody who is not your spouse. And so Paul, again, told them, abstain from that because people will be watching. Listen, people are watching. I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly Gandhi, y'all heard of Gandhi? Supposedly Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Supposedly, Gandhi said that. That's why he said he wasn't a follower. You know, I, uh, when I was at IU, I worked at a Mexican restaurant. Probably all never heard of it called Chi-Chi's. Anybody remember Chi-Chi's? Does anybody miss Chi-Chi's? Yeah. Way too many food poisonings. Um, When I was there, it was under the original people that owned the national chain. So it was very strict, but in later years it went down. But anyways, and I remember sometimes we'd be cooking at 10 o'clock at night. There'd be a two-hour wait. We're like, who waits for two hours at 10 o'clock at night to eat burritos? But whatever. It was good. But one of the things that I know in talking to servers and over the years hearing, that I've been told over and over that one of the worst days for servers in a restaurant is Sunday after church because of the church people and how they come in and treat the servers. Folks, that should never be said. That should be the best day of the week. That should be the day when, hey, we get some nice tips. That should be a day when, hey, you know, I messed up your order. That's okay. We'll get it fixed. No big deal. But a lot of people, a lot of servers I've heard over the years say Sunday is the worst day because of the church people. And folks, here's the thing. People are watching us. Now, we're going we're gonna to look at verses 9 to 12, but I want to go to verse 12. We're going to start at the end and go backwards. Here's what Paul says in verse 12. So, so we're going to get into all the reasons so here. But we're going to start backwards. He says, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon anyone. So what Paul's getting ready to share with us, and we're going to walk through in a minute, is so that you, Christ followers, will walk properly in the presence of outsiders. Now let me say that. That's not being a derogatory term. What Paul is saying is what I'm I'm sharing with you, or what I just shared with you, and we're getting ready to look at it. What I just shared with you is so that you will 
walk, live, literally what's that word means, that you'll live properly in the presence of people who are outside the church. That's what he means by outsiders. People who are not Christ followers. People who do not know Jesus as Savior. And, and you say, what, what, what is a Christ follower? A Christ follower is a person that says, yes, I'm a sinner. I know I've rebelled against God. I do wrong things. I need saving from my sins. I need deliverance. And a Christ follower is a person that says, I believe Jesus is the way. Please, Lord Jesus, save my soul. I need you to save me. That's a Christ follower in a nutshell. Okay? And if you've never done that, if you're watching my Facebook, and if you've never done that, then let me just tell you, life's not going to make sense until you do. It really isn't. And so Paul says, Here, here's my goal, Christ followers. And this is, I'm getting ready to share what you, he just shared. I'm doing this so that you as Christ followers, that people on the outside who are not Christ followers will look at you and say, wow, they're different. I want what they got. And so here's my challenge. And here's what I want to drive home. Outsiders, talking people outside the church, watch how we live and how we love. People outside the church are watching how we live and how we love. So Paul said, the things I just shared with you, which we're getting ready to look at, I did it so that you can walk properly in the presence of outsiders. So, so what was it that he just shared so that when outsiders look at us, they can see a difference? Well, first thing he said is outsiders, and we looked at this last week, but just a real quick recap. Outsiders watch our morality. Outsiders watch our morality. And again, last week we looked at this. We are to abstain from sexual immorality. I just talked about that. Outsiders watch that. Because here's the thing. The common view among outsiders is you can't say no. You're just an, an animal, a higher evolved animal. And so you can't say no. That's the common view of outside. And we say no, you're not an animal. You're a human being created in the image of God. And you have the power to say no. And, and Paul says that. He, he says, he, he, he says we, pe people are watching our morality. And, and he says you need to abstain from sexual immorality, not just because people are watching us on the outside, but also because of the inside. Look at verse 6. We'll just go back to what he said last week, just kind of recap. This means one should not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter. We're talking about the matter of sexual immorality because the Lord is the avenger of all these offenses, as we previously warned you. So Paul says, look, when we commit sexual immorality, we're sinning against not only God, but we're sinning against each other, and, and, and we're exploiting each other. And, you know, when outsiders look at that, and if they see in the inside the church looks like just like the outside of the church, they say, why do I want to be a part of that? You know? And I don't blame them. I mean, if, if, if we don't live and act any differently than people outside the church, hey, why not stay home and mow my yard this morning? Why not read a book? Really? Seriously? Well, you know, why should I get up and go? They did, there's no difference between me and them. Paul says, again, outsiders are watching you, and I'm challenging you. We looked at it last week. Abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Because people are watching you, and, and, and when you do that, you're defrauding. You're sinning against your own brothers and sisters in Christ and the church. So again, if we as believers will abstain from sexual immorality, that will catch the attention of people outside the church. Why are they saying no? And let me just say this, if you're a believer and you have 
committed sexual immorality, here's what you do. You repent and don't do it again. Okay? Your life's not over. God doesn't hate you. You sin just like everybody else. And I want to make that clear. If you've committed sexual immorality, you're not a horrible, worthless person. You're a sinner. And you just like I am. And repent. Turn around and don't do it again. Bottom line. And you know what? I think even that will send a signal to outsiders. Well, I knew how she used to be, but she's not like that anymore. What changed? I knew how he used to be, but he's not like that anymore. What changed? Outsiders are watching our morality. They're watching how we live. They're watching how we love. And outsiders are watching how we love each other. Let's dig into our main passage this morning. Look at verse 9. Here's what Paul says. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Now let me just say, in the Greek language, that word love, in English we just have the word love. There were three, well there's actually four, but main, main words for love. There was eros, which is translated love in our English language, which is sensual love. Obviously we get erotica from that. There was also uh, Philadelphia love. City of brotherly love, okay? So like I'm told if you go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's the most loving city in the world, um, sort of. But uh, that's what Philadelphia love. So sometimes it's translated in English as love, but it, it, the Greek word is actually referring to not eros, but brotherly love, just love for one another. And then there's agape love, which is the most used word in the New Testament, which means self-sacrificing love for the good of somebody else, which is the love of Jesus, okay? That's the love we're called to have for each other. And then there was also family love. But the word that Paul uses here, in our English, it just says love, because it could be any one of really four different words. It's the word Philadelphia. The word Paul uses in the original language is Philadelphia. So Paul is saying, what I'm talking about, about brotherly love, and they, the translators kind of gave us that little adjective there to help us understand that this is the love, the, uh, about that love that you should have one another. You don't need me to write to you about this because you, are, you guys are doing this. Notice he says you're taught by God. Look, here's, here's something. One way you can tell a Christ follower from a fake Christ follower, and there are, is a true Christ follower love other Christ followers? They will have a love for other Christ followers. They will have a love for God's church. And I get it. All of us have been hurt by the church. All of us have been hurt by other Christ followers. Christ followers are sinners too, and sometimes we hurt each other. Okay, I've got tons of battle scars. So do a lot of you all. But at the end of the day, I still love the church. At the end of the day, I still love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the mark of a true Christ follower. And Paul says, that's just an instinct. I don't really need to teach you about this. If you're a true Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit, and it's just an instinct that you have that you should love one another. And look at what he says in verse 10. He says, and in fact, you guys are doing this towards all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. I mean, again, I told you, this is a healthy church. I mean, you guys are killing it. You guys are loving brothers and sisters in Christ, but I'm going to encourage you to do so even more. Paul says you guys are doing a great job, but I want to cause you to step up your game because outsiders are watching you. So why does he write that? Why does he tell us? 
Here's what he says in verse part of last 10. He says, we encourage you to do even more so, to love one another. And here's what I want to encourage you to do, to live a quiet life. Verse 11a. Let me just tell you, outsiders watch our morality. Outsiders watch how we love, how we interact with each other. Outsiders also watch how we live our lives. Now Paul says... I want you to live a quiet life. And and, and some translations say, make it your ambition to have no ambition. That's kind of what he's saying. All right? Make it your ambition. Have you guys ever heard of an oxymoron? This is kind of one of those oxymoronic statements. If you don't know what an oxymoron is, it's like two things that are opposite that we put together. For example, here's an oxymoron. Accident plan. Here's another one. He gave us an accurate estimate. Well, how can it be accurate and an estimate at the same time? Some of you are trying to work this out. Let me give you some easier ones. Here's an oxymoron. Jumbo shrimp. All right, that was pretty easy to grab. Here's another one. Student teacher. That's kind of an oxymoron. Have you ever heard this one? He's in ill health. Strange. Hey, we had some serious fun. That's an oxymoron. Here's one. Hey, at the bank they triggered the silent alarm. What? It's silent and it's an alarm? Again, oxymoron, okay? Probably my famous one, if you're in computers, is Microsoft Works. That's an oxymoron. So, you know, so this kind of is like one of those oxymoronic statements. Like, I'm urging you, make it your ambition to not really have any ambition. (laughs) What? I'm urging you to lead a quiet life. Here's what I think Paul's getting at. Outsiders are watching, and again, he's talking to a church that's really heavily persecuted, and, and more so than we are even in America, but he's saying, look, you guys don't create problems that don't need to be created. All right? Don't, don't sit here and try to create all sorts of social upheaval and things like that. Don't, don't let pe- people see all oh, that group over there. They're just a bunch of troublemakers. And let me tell you, there's some churches out there that are a bunch of troublemakers. Paul says, that's not to be you. You're not to be, oh yeah, those people in that church, they're wacko. No, just live a quiet life. Again, there was no doubt this church was being persecuted. If you look back, if you go to his second letter in 2 Thessalonians, we might hit that after this letter. He said, therefore, we also boast about you among God's churches, about your endurance and faith and all the persecutions and afflictions you're enduring. So they were really being persecuted. And Paul says, I know that there really people are coming after you and people are watching you, but don't do anything to cause unnecessary problems. In fact, Peter put it this way. None of you, speaking of Christians, Christ followers, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. In other words, you don't need to be doing stuff that's wrong. If anything, if anybody persecutes you, it should only be because you love Jesus. That's the only reason. Outsiders watch our Lives And look at what else we're supposed to do. So he said in verse 11 that we're to lead a quiet life. He also says that we're also to mind our own business. Y'all ever heard of a busybody? Ah, lots of people like to be busybodies. In fact, 
in his second letter to the church at Thessalonia. And in fact, even though this was a healthy church, I have a sneaking suspicion even after, after Paul either got this first report from Timothy, which is what this letter is in response to, or there may have been a second report, I don't know. But somewhere he heard that there was a little bit of stuff going on. In fact, in his second letter, he wrote this to the Thessalonians. For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. Somebody once said the best way to avoid a nosebleed is to keep out of other people's business. Probably true. I mean, literally, a, a busybody is just somebody who just kind of wants to be involved and put their hands in everybody else's business. And Paul says, look, here's the deal. You guys make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and keep your nose out of everybody else's business. And I'll tell you one thing in the church, and I get this, and I've been guilty of it. I'm just going to be honest. I think we all have. One of the things that in the church that's real easy for us to all do is gossip. Right? Real easy to do that in the church. I get that. In fact, in a survey in 1995 in American Demographics, 29% of adults say their privacy is violated by gossiping neighbors. All right. Somebody once said this, I welcome news of the sins of others because it makes my sins appear more normal. Right? We kind of like that gossip. In fact, I kind of I kind of got hung up on that little term gossip because I think it's one of those like sexual immorality. Oh, that's horrible. But gossip, yeah, it's okay. We all kind of do it. Right? But it's still a sin. And so I kind of, I thought, well, what, what is gossip? I mean, we kind of throw that word around, so I'll just give it to you. The dictionary says this, it's casual or unre- unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Gossip is when we got the juicy details. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? That's Gossip. It's usually gossiping is when you feel like you've got some privileged information that you want to share. And, 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 I, and again, here, here's one of the things I thought about in the church. Because we share. We're, we're to bear one another's burdens, okay? And, and this, is a, this is a tightrope in the church. Because we are to share one another's burdens. But a lot of us have been burned because we've shared our burdens. And so how do you, how do you walk that tightrope of not sharing one another's burdens? And I, I thought, I was about this because Wednesday night we share prayer requests. What's the difference between gossip and sharing? Because a lot of times, let me just share, but what we really want to do is give some little tidbits out there. Did you know? So what's the difference? Here's the difference, I think. Intent. Intent. Why are you sharing that information? A lot of times, if you're sharing information to build yourself up in the eyes of others, then you're probably gossiping. If you're sharing things to make somebody look bad, you're gossiping. If that's your intent. If you're sharing something and exposing the faults and failures of other people, you're gossiping. It's all about what is your intent. If your intent is, hey, we need to pray for so-and-so, they're going through a difficult time in their life. That's all you need to say. All right, we don't need to know all the details. But again, I think all of us have been guilty of gossip, and that's one thing we've got to watch. Beginning with me on down. Make sure that our intent is right. And again, gossip is not an evidence of brotherly love. 
right? So again, Paul says, look, people on the outside aren't going to be attracted to a church where they feel like they're just going to get talked about. Bottom line. So make it your own business to mind your own business and to lead a quiet life. And also, here's another thing. So outsiders watch our morality. They watch how we love each other. They watch how we live our lives. Here's another thing. Outsiders also watch how we work. Outsiders also watch how we work. You know, one of the things that leads to being a busybody is laziness. Laziness and being a busybody often goes, and there's was, there was a story about an old mountaineer. He was sitting with his wife one night uh, and just kind of whittling away time, just, you know, lazily sitting there. And after a long time, the, the wife said, Jed, I think it's raining. Why don't you get up and go and see if it's raining? And the old mountaineer continued to sit in his rocking chair and gaze into the fire. He said, oh, Ma, why don't we just let the dog out and see if he comes back wet? You know, I mean, that's sometimes how we are. We're just lazy. And lazy can lead to being a, a busybody. And again, it appears that there were people in Thessalonica, even though it was a healthy church, there were some people that weren't pulling their weight. Here's what Paul said at the end of this letter. He says, we exhort you, brothers, to warn those who are lazy, comfort the discouraged, and help the weak, and be patient with everyone. So again, Paul says here in our text, he says, here's one of the things I'm challenging you back to our text, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Because here's the deal. Outsiders are going to watch how we work. Do these people work hard or are they lazy? As somebody who's been somewhat of an employer, I don't want to hire people who are lazy. If you're going to pay somebody, you want them to work. Bottom line, that's why you hire them. And again, the ultimate ideal person, I should say, should be for an employer, you know what? Hey, he's a Christian, she's a Christian. Oh, that's a check plus. I'm not saying that's the only reason they should hire you, but at least an employer says, hey, at least that tells me hopefully this is a person of morals and this person's going to work hard. At least that should convey that to the employer. Now, obviously, there's other qualifications, whatever the job is, but at least those should be two things that immediately pop into a employer's line. And again, there were some people in the church who were apparently lazy. And we'll talk about that next week. Hopefully come back next week when we talk about end times because Paul's going to hit that next a little bit in the letter. And I think there were some people in the church that thought, Jesus is coming back, so I'll just hang out here. And Paul's like, uh, let's not do that because we don't know when he's coming back. We'll talk about that next week. But again, Paul says... We need to be people who work hard. In fact, in his second letter, here's what he wrote in his second letter to them. Now, we, let me just, I'll just read this. You can follow along. He says, We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly, not according to the tradition received from us. In other words, we didn't teach you to be lazy. For you yourselves know how you must imitate yourselves. We were not irresponsible among you. We did not eat anyone's breads free of charge. Instead, we labored and struggled, working day and night, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not... Not that we didn't have the right for support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would not imitate us. In other words, Paul's saying, you know what? We could have said, hey, you guys need to give us money to help support us so we can do our ministry, and that was legitimate, but we didn't want to do that. Kind of like the, the video we saw up there. The guy drove school buses so he could help out the churches. In fact, we, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. That sounds harsh, but it's true. 
For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working they eat their own food. Paul says people are watching how you work. What is your work ethic? As Frank Tiger said, some people would do anything to be able to do nothing. It's not shouldn't be said about us. People should say, wow, those people work. So outsiders watch how we live and they watch how we love. They watch how we live morally. They watch how we live in our work ethic. They watch how we love and how we respond to each other. And so Paul says we are to abstain from sexual immorality. We're not to get in trouble for breaking more God's moral laws. In other words, we're not to be causing all sorts of upheavals and things like that. We're to lead quiet lives. We're to work with our own hands and mind our own business. And going back to verse 12 where we started, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon anyone. Again, outsiders watch how we live and how we love. You know, there was a market researcher that was stopping people at the grocery store after they picked up Wonder Bread. Anybody ever eat Wonder Bread? So he was talking to people after they picked up their Wonder Bread and the market researcher interviewed one man who just got some Wonder Bread. And he said, sir, would you be willing to answer a couple questions for me about your choice of bread? And the man said, sure, I'd be happy to. And he said, fine. He said, the question I'd like to ask you is this. Do you feel that your choice of Wonder Bread has been at all influenced by their advertising program? And the guy kind of looked shocked. And he said, of course not. I'm not influenced by that sort of thing. Well, then, said the researcher, could you tell me just why did you choose Wonder Bread? And he replied, of course I can, because it builds stronger bodies eight ways. He was influenced by their efforts, and we all are. People are influenced by what they see and they hear. People outside the church are watching us. In fact, when the church started in Jerusalem, when the church was just beginning, we read this about the early church. Now all the believers were together and held everything in common and they sold their possessions and property and distributed proceedings to all as anyone had a need. Now that's not a command for us to do today. It's simply what they did when the church was starting. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude. Praising God and having favor, notice this, with all the people. And every day the Lord added to those who were being saved. Do outsiders see a difference in how you and how I live and how we love? Do they see it? Let's pray. Father, it's my prayer that everybody here is an insider in that everybody here has confessed and repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, if there's somebody here who has not done that, who legitimately cannot say, yes, I am a true follower of Christ, I pray that today, right now in their chair or on Facebook, wherever they're watching this video, that right now they'll say, I admit it, I need a Savior. Lord, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Save me. Save my soul. For those of us, Father, who are 
insiders, I pray that we'll always be mindful of the fact that outsiders are watching us. Help us not to give outsiders a reason not to look at our Savior. I pray that when people see how we live and how we love, that they'll say, I want what she has. I want what he has. I want to be a part of that community. Because, Father, I know one thing about the human nature, and that is we want relationships. You designed us that way. So, God, I pray at Warren Baptist Church, which is made up of each one of us individually, that people will see how we live and how we love and that they'll see a difference. And, Father, that people will be attracted to our Savior. And, Lord, if there's somebody here that says they're a Christ follower but not living and loving rightly, that right now in their chair they'll confess to you, repent, accept your forgiveness, and then prove it by a changed life, by changed actions. Father, I thank you that you forgive all of us when we confess and repent and that you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, not holding it against us again. Help us to accept your forgiveness. And Father, help us to live in such a way that outsiders will say, I want what he or she has. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So my challenge to you this morning, if you're maybe living in a way that outsiders don't see a difference between your life and their life, and you say you're a Christ follower, prove it.